Hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of Ladies Who Switch. Well, things are getting really exciting over at the Women's Ashes where England have stayed in the contest and won the T20i series and there are not a lot of points separating them from Australia at this stage. It's all to do though as the ODIs kick off because England can't drop a point, can't lose a match. If they hope to win the Women's Ashes, we've got Valkyrie Baines, who is covering everything live from the ground. Valkyrie, this is exactly what we wanted, isn't it? And what are we looking forward to from the one dayers? Yeah, it's absolutely great that the series is still live. Um, it was obviously a, a bit of a, a talking point when the test was played first and being worth more points, whether that was going to sway the series too early. Um, it hasn't, uh, given that England have won the second two T20Is um, to, to keep themselves alive. They've still got to win every match, as you mentioned, um, if they're to win back the Ashes. And what we have to remember is Australia are on a 15-game winning streak in one-day internationals, going back to India's tour of Australia back in September 2021. So, yes, England are on a roll. They can ride a wave of a bit of confidence, but they are coming up against an opponent who are really, really formidable in this format. So it is, as you say, all to do for the hosts at the moment. Yeah, I feel like every time we talk about Australia and records, it's about winning streaks, it's about being unbeaten, uh, and it's about other people needing to show that they can punch at the same weight, I suppose, as an Australian side that seems to have a lot of depth to them. But even have named the squad, they've got some changes coming in. I see Lauren Filer, who was uh, so impressive earlier on in the series. She's been named. What are the other changes in the Indian squad? Yes, as you mentioned, Lauren Filer's back. Um, she was rested after the test, given that was her international debut and she sort of played a, a five-day game to to start with. Um, she was sort of held back from the T20s, but she's back in the, the one-dayers. And I think that's what England have done well and to their advantage is sort of throw a few curveballs and bring in, you know, a few un, of the unknowns for Australia. That's really probably a good tactic against Australia is to, you know, mix it up a little bit and throw in the unexpected and see how they deal with it. So, yeah, Lauren Filer's back. Um, Izzy Wong is in the squad again. Um, And I just asked Heather Knight, um, the captain, whether she would be tempted to bowl them in tandem at any point during this series. And she said it is an option. Um, Izzy Wong's sort of on her way back, I suppose. She didn't make that T20 World Cup squad. She hasn't actually played a, a T20 um, for them since the... Uh, West Indies tour back in December, so before that World Cup. So um, she has she's on a bit of a lean streak in terms of um, appearances for England, but she is back in the squad. And having been um, uh, released from um, from the England squad earlier um, in this series to play domestic cricket, she um, she went and scored a fifty and took two wickets for Central Sparks against Southeast Stars um, in their very recent match. So. Um, She's apparently pretty pumped up about her performance with the bat, no less. Um, but yeah, she's back and, and sort of making her way back and she is there as an option. But I think they'll definitely um, be tempted to bowl Filer. She, um, <clears throat> excuse me, she caused, you know, a, a few few issues in that test. She took a couple of wickets in each innings and the Australians admitted that she had real pace and, and they did find her, you know, quite difficult to face. So um, that's a plus uh, in, in uh, England's favour. Um, in terms of the batting, so Emma Lamb has been opening with um, Tammy Beaumont, but she was not selected in the one-day squad. So that means um, 
we're likely to see Tammy Beaumont back at the top of the order, given that double century um, in the test match. But Sophia Dunkley will move up to open with her. She went up to number three very successfully last year. Um, she made a century as well from number three. So she's going to go up a spot and then Heather Knight will go up to number three. So, um, yeah, a few changes at the top of the batting order, but they have got those options there. Um, and then we've got Danny Wyatt, um, who we will talk about a little bit more um, when we talk about the one day is because she was really crucial for them. Um, she is there as an option, probably more as a pinch hitter down sort of the, the lower middle order. Um, but yeah, she's, she's sort of one that can move, move about as well. But I think that's sort of pretty set that we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see Dunkley opening, um, alongside Tammy Beaumont. So that's, uh, that's an interesting one for England. When you, um, when you talked about, uh, records and winning streaks in Australia, um, sort of being the holders of, of sort of a lot of those, um, those records in conversations we have about them. I think one thing we should remember is that England won five games on the bounce to reach the 50 over World Cup final back at the start of last year. So um, that is something that, you know, can, can give a bit of confidence. Um, I asked Heather Knight again, just in her press conference just now about whether she had uh, raised that and she thanked me for um, for giving her some ideas. So I may have done the Australians out of a bit of uh, a bit of a strategy there, but yeah, she said, oh, well, if I need to, to, to use that, I'll, I'll remind them. But they're very much, you know, saying they're taking one game at a time and you can sort of roll your eyes and go, oh, you know, we hear that cliche in sport all the time, but really that is their only option. They can't be thinking about, you know, the last game of this one day series, given that they have to win every single one. So I think they'll be very much focusing on this first match uh, at Bristol and, um, and yeah, with, with a few sort of options up their sleeve there. Um, what what do you think um, uh, you know England can do? I mean, do you think they can beat the Australians in this one day series? Yeah, I said after the test that they would have to bounce back and win the T Twenty series, especially given that the T Twenty World Cup didn't go the way they would have wanted it to, and they seem pretty disappointed not to have reached the final. I mean, of course, every team is disappointed not to reach the final, but England had a real chance against the South African side that have never beaten them in a crunch match like that before. So I'm going to stick with it. I think that they are going to, well, at least win the first two matches because as much as we're talking about the main series and how we'd love to take it to the Oval at 2-all, if uh, England can manage to draw that fourth test match or win that fourth test match rather, I think exactly the same thing we want from the women's and more so because from what I hear, it's record crowds that you saw at the T20 series and sold out crowds at the one-day series. And that's just phenomenal for the women's game that it's now starting to pull in the kind of crowds that the men's game has done for such a long time. It, and almost, you know, it feels so funny to say that women's sport has to justify itself as a major thing because it should be a major thing. But numbers are ultimately what make a huge difference here. And I think if we're seeing loads and loads of fans turning up, then you want those fans to be rewarded with exciting cricket and cricket that keeps them glued to their screens and their seats for as long as the series goes on. So for the sake of the series, for the sake of the fans and the sake of competition, I hope that England are able to to pull it out. But I also see that they they seem to be performing with a lot of confidence. I watched little bits of that rained out final T20I and uh, just had a look at the kind of self-assurance among the, the England side. And it does seem to me from the outside and from very far away that maybe something has changed in terms of self-belief. And you're on the ground, so I'm kind of wondering if you've picked that up that there is just the sense of the Australians are beatable. And in particular, Alyssa Healy, who hasn't had the best series as captain and hasn't scored as many runs as maybe we're used to. And maybe there's a bit of, hey, hang on, 
these girls, ladies are fallible and, and there are ways to beat them. I wonder if you're sensing that. Yeah, I think you sensed a real shift when England won that second uh, T20 to keep themselves alive. And when they did that and just the way they spoke um, sort of after it was like, oh, hang on, you would not put it past them to win that third one now. Like you just felt like it was going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I think they're definitely – and there was a lot of talk around before they had won that one is like, do you just need to get one to open the floodgates? And I kind of didn't necessarily buy it at the time. It's like, yeah, well, you know, this is an, an Australian team that are going to come back hard if, you know, you beat them. Um, but like you say, if they're playing with a lot of confidence, that can, you know, do so much, particularly in the shortest format. You know, you get, we talk about momentum all the time in that format. And if you've got the momentum, it's more on the onus is on the opposition to get it back. Um, which is something Elisa Healy says that her side has historically done very well, but they're really, you know, going to find themselves having to do it now. Um, I guess the pressure's off them points-wise, but they're not going to want to, you know, be beaten again, obviously. So they are the ones that are sort of under pressure, you know, they, they've sort of got something to, to prove. She did say um, after that loss at the Oval, well, you know what, we are allowed to lose the odd game here and there. And it, it's true, like, you know, you, that, that's the point, but that's not to sort of take anything away from... England's achievement in terms of actually being able to be the ones that have have cracked them. So, yeah, I think um, I think they are definitely playing confidently. They're you know, saying all the right things and and you know and playing well. And I guess too in those harder situations, those clinch situations, like you know when when they had sort of a, a rain reduced run chase and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, they they managed to to get over the line. So yeah, I think they they are looking good. And just in terms of some of the top performers, I'm not too surprised to see. Sophie Eccleston leading the wicket-takers list. We know exactly what she can do in the shortest format. She's been just a star performer for England. And also equally unsurprised to see that Beth Mooney was the leading run scorer. But I'd like to ask you a little bit about Danny Wyatt. She's uh, had a great T20i series and you've kind of watched her in the preparation. Has she done anything differently or, or what, what's her kind of recipe for success been? I think she's very much come out and played the way that she plays, you know, at the top of the order, really getting them going with Cecilia Dunkley with it, you know, just getting them off and running really well. Um, her innings at the Oval w was brilliant. So, like, um, she um, she set them off and, and sort of and saw it through, um, so to speak. So um, that was really crucial. She was sort of player of the match, player of the series, actually. Um, so she scored 76 off 46 balls in that second T20i at the Oval. So, I mean, that was, you know, a, a match match potentially, well, for the T20s, a series-defining uh, performance there. Um, and then in terms of the run chase at Lord, 26 from 15, she, again, really set them off and running really, really nicely. And whilst it was Alice Capsey who came and sort of got the job done, and that's another interesting story, um, yeah, it was really, you know, Danny Wyatt who who set them off. And she just, she did it by playing that, you know, really aggressive style at the top, getting them off and firing. Um, but it was really good to see uh, Alice Capsey come in and um, score. It was 46 off 23. So she um, she was really disappointed to fall without getting her half century. But that was a really important knock, not only for England, because that is ultimately what got them past the target. But also she'd only scored 17 runs in her previous five T20Is for England. So 
she'd been on a little bit of a, a lean run with the bat and that was really, um, yeah, the sort of the innings that she needed. So be interesting to see her two batting in that middle order in the one day as if she's now similar to the team on a, you know, a bit of a, a role of confidence having done that if, um, if she can do it again. And then just in terms of some of Australia's key performers, we've spoken about Alyssa Healy, not as many runs as I think we, we would have wanted to see from her. Uh, what about someone like Anise Perry, an unbeaten 51 in that second T20i, uh, some runs in the test match, but around that, is she doing as much as you would have expected? Yeah, I think she has been one of the the most crucial players with the bat for them. Yeah, Beth Mooney has been strong. She's been doing Beth Mooney things. You know, she's been their very reliable um, run scorer and, and sort of been, been getting the runs. But I have been so impressed with Elise Perry. So 99 in the test match, 51 not out of 27 um, in the T20i at the Oval. Now, that could have been, you know, the, the innings that defined it for Australia had they won. And similarly to at the, um, sorry, at Lords, 34 of 25, again, had Australia won, that was what would have got them over the line. So if you think about it, she couldn't get in Australia's T20 side because of her strike rate ahead of last year, uh, the last Ashes series. So at the start of last year. So she has really revamped her game, turned things around. Um, she couldn't bowl because of her back stress fracture at Commonwealth Games. So that, you know, was was an issue for her through last year. But in the lead up to the last Ashes series, she couldn't get in because of that strike rate. And now look at her. I think she's been pivotal in this um, this T20 series for them. And, you know, if it, if they had have, you know, got over the line, it w- would have been, very, you know, largely down to her. So I've been really impressed. And in terms of strike rates, I mean, it's something that we talk about quite a lot in the women's game and one of the conversations around, white ball strike rates being mainly in the women's game, 130, 140, 150. I mean, we're seeing in this series, I've seen a couple of 160s and 170s. Are you feeling like there's a fundamental evolution in how quickly women are scoring runs in limited overs cricket or is it just looking like that from the outside? No, I think definitely if you think about it, it's the T20 format that's been earmarked as the way forward for the women's game. The development domestically um, in England, um, following what they've done in Australia, that sort of increased, I guess, their talent pool and players that are able to do that. So I think it's just a natural progression that we're seeing in terms of the natural progression of the development of the women's game going on at the moment and the fact that they play so much T20. That improvement is always going to be really rapid once you get that structure in place. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's a, a trend that we're, we're seeing for good reason and one that, you know, is likely to continue given, you know, these um, franchise leagues that are, you know, opening up to them and, and that kind of thing. I think, yeah, it's, it's sort of a, a natural progression and, and it makes good sense. Okay, so I'm going to ask you first this time, uh, what is your prediction for the One Day Series and therefore the Women's Ashes? Well, I was going to uh, ask you again whether, and this time I was going to ask whether you thought that a score of 300 could be topped in the one-day game, just given that we've been talking about strike rates, we've been talking about power hitting, and we've been talking about women's cricket evolving and progressing and and people scoring a lot more runs a lot more quickly. So since you've asked me, I'm hoping that we are going to see 300 topped with a fair bit of regularity in the series. And I'm hoping that if we are going to see a top, we're also going to see a chase down so that we're getting these high octane, high scoring chases where there's a lot of boundary hitting, but not just boundary hitting, 
one of the features of the World Cup qualifiers we've just been through in Zimbabwe was running between the wickets and really, really quick running. We saw it with the Dutch, who will be on their way to India later this year. They scored more twos than any other team, and they scored 155 twos, so they 310 runs in total in the tournament running between the wickets. So th- there's a lot to be said for hitting boundaries and a lot to be said for putting pressure on fielding sides that way, but equally so from sprinting really hard, pressuring the fielder as they are about to get to the ball and then turning quickly. So that's what I'm hoping to see. And then for the sake of the series, I'd like to see England win the first two games, uh, and I'd like to see them take it to... an all or nothing, really important scenario in that final match. It is difficult to think that Australia won't retain the Ashes, just given their dominance, given how they tend to bounce back from situations where they're a little bit down. So, yeah, I'm struggling to see that they won't retain it. I think it would be a phenomenal upset if they're not to to retain it. But I'm also wondering, given that this is the year where we've probably had more women's cricket than any other year, if we think about it, a lot of teams came from Southern Hemisphere Summer Series in January, then straight into the Women's World Cup, then straight into the WPL. Then they would have had a couple of other series. There was also a fair break competition in between. And then they've come into this and there's still some cricket to go. We're only at the second week of July. So I'm wondering if there's a fatigue factor that's going to come in for either side or maybe even for both sides. And maybe you've picked up or, or seen some of that and just what that impact would be if there is a little bit of wear and tear starting to show. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually. Um, I remember the fatigue factor being discussed after the New Zealand tour of uh, England before Australia then went over and played that um, really long ashes into 50-over World Cup swing um, overseas. But that, and there was there was discussions. I kind of saw the point, um, but then there was other people saying, yeah, but you know, they've only played, you know this much cricket and you know it's not that much and you know why they're tired but that obviously had the factor of the bi-secure bubbles they were still having to that was they'd come out of that but they were still having to be really careful like you know what they did and I remember Tammy Beaumont talking about you know going to the petrol station and they had to they had protocols for how you fill your car and then wash your hands you know that kind of thing and they were still having to think about all of that stuff and that can be really really taxing um so I think there was also an element of you know mental fatigue as well as sort of the, the physical fatigue I guess the more that they're playing of course you know we are going to see fatigue but I suppose this is really only the start of England summer and I think also too players and boards by and large are becoming more and more aware of that we've seen in the men's game several of the you know top men's players having to take time out I mean you know Ben Stokes at a really high profile, you know, case in point of having to sort of take time out for, for um, you know, because it's just too much on body and and mind. Um, we've already seen Nat Siverbrunt took that mental health and wellbeing break last year. So I think as players and boards are becoming more aware of it, I think they're starting to manage it a lot better. Players are getting better at speaking up when they need the break. Boards are, you know, uh, seem seem to be very supportive when they do, and it's like yes, fine. You know, there's no ramifications. You do what you you know you need to do. So I think yes, there will be fatigue. Obviously, the more cricket that is played, but I think they've got a golden opportunity to manage that a lot better now, having seen the lessons of the past. So I like to think 
that if it is a factor, then it's going to be managed a lot better than perhaps it has been done in the past in, you know, in across across the entire sport, really. Yeah, and of course, that is something that we hope for the women's game in general, where, you know, when we talk about the predominance of leagues and uh, how that may interfere with bilateral programs, one of the things that the ICC mentioned, and this was sort of even before the Women's World Cup, if memory serves, that they want to try and do is prevent the kind of clashes that we've seen in the men's game where leagues are maybe a little bit uh, dominant and, and almost in a way, I mean, I want to say swallowing up by natural cricket, but I feel like maybe that's a little bit unfair to some of the countries whose players don't get to play in a lot of the leagues. So these are very interesting times and challenges for the women's game just as it starts to to really capture the imagination everywhere. Um, well, to go into the one-day series, you told us some great reports from the test about the crowds there, the T20s were great crowds. Are you still feeling the vibe? Is it still feeling like everyone's interested and ready and wanting to go to the games? Yeah, it's terrific. And it was um, actually really nice because at the Oval, uh, there is a very large overspill area from the press box. So by and large, you always sit outside at the Oval. It's the the press box is, um, you know, it's quite dark. It's harder to see. You feel really removed from it. So almost everyone sits outside and you really got such a sense of, the crowd and the atmosphere and, you know, the vibe. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was really exhilarating. You're like, oh, wow, you know, people are so into this and it's great. Whereas sometimes, you know, we can be a little bit in the fishbowl and removed from it and you can see a big crowd. It's like at Lords, you know, you saw this great crowd, but you don't hear it as well if you're in the, the press box. So, you know, you knew it was great, but you were actually right in the thick of it at the Oval and you were like, oh, this is actually real. We've seen the numbers. We've heard all of the, you know, the, the praise about it, but it, you know, yeah, the, you know, this is actually happening. Um, so yeah, it, it was really good, and you do feel it. And the fact that it, each of these one days are sold out, so the entire series is sold out before it's even begun. Yeah, I think it's going to be, um, you know, really fantastic crowds for for the remainder of the series. And like you say, they they are being treated to some really great contests, and that's you know all we could have hoped for, really. Absolutely, now, and that's not the end. I know, right? So I was going to say there is other cricket happening and I know you want to speak about it because you've been keeping tabs on the rest of the world for us. There are loads of other series being played at the moment. We have had West Indies, Ireland. We've had Bangladesh, India. That's still ongoing. And Sri Lanka, New Zealand um, also. Now that one was particularly stood out to me because I thought of you instantly. Tamari Atapatu topping the ICC ODI batting ranks after uh, two centuries in three games. Um, yeah, Sri Lanka won the ODIs 2-1 and she was really pivotal in that. New Zealand uh, 2-0 in the uh, T20s. So, um, yeah, what what do you make of what's been going on uh, in, in the other matches around the world? Yes, well, Tamari Atapatu not just being the top run scorer in that series and the first to reach number one on the ICC rankings, also the first Sri Lankan woman to hold that title. And, in fact, there's only been one other Sri Lankan and it's a man, it's Sanath Jayasuriya. So really she joined esteemed and elite company. We already know that she's really the flag bearer, the pioneer amongst women's cricketers in her country. And she just keeps adding to that reputation. Whenever we talk about Sri Lanka, I mean, one of the things that we mentioned is that there needs to be some depth. We're hoping that we'll see other players coming through, people who are able to put some support around Chamari Atapatu, but also, if we're honest, I mean, she's unlikely to be playing for the next 10 years, at least. I mean, she certainly maybe got another World Cup or two or major tournament or two in her. And what we'd really like to see are those under-19 players who we saw 
in action here in South Africa in January, starting to come through, starting to play the big innings more consistently. That's ultimately uh, what you hope to see in terms of winning games and in terms of being able to form a consistent core for Sri Lanka in the future, very much like what New Zealand have now. They've got the experience of Susie Bates and then the youth of the Kerr sisters. So it's an interesting comp- contest between these two teams, uh, probably quite a good matchup that we're seeing happening there. Something that maybe we're not really seeing over in Bangladesh where they've had a, a tough, tough time against India. It's two T20s that have been played thus far. In the first T20, Bangladesh were held to 114 for five. It's probably not the best score. And then you see India just knocking off those runs. It's 16.2 overs, some big runs there. Harman Preet Kaur with an unbeaten 54. So, you know, we spoke a little while ago about what will WPL do for Indian women's cricket? Uh, what would it mean for their depth? What would it mean for how competitive they're going to be? And we can see in, in how they're performing against Bangladesh that, you know, it's it's done wonders, actually. In the second T20, it was much tougher going. India were held to 95 for eight. So uh, a low-scoring game there with wickets uh, seemingly falling all the time. But then Bangladesh really unable to keep up, bowled out for 87. The captain, Nega Sultana, scored 38. And uh, Shafali Verma and Dipti Sharma took six wickets between them. So India holding all the cards really there. And something similar is happening in the West Indies, where Ireland is struggling to keep pace with the West Indies, who we know, you know they've been playing on uh, women's cricket for a lot longer in an organised way contracted for longer but they've been through some tough times West Indies women they've got a new coach now on the way uh who's been appointed from the Netherlands so hopefully things are going to start to change their vouch I don't know if you've kept an eye on Ireland over the last few months or years uh, you know are, are you feeling like this is an accurate reflection of their women's team yeah so um I think I I think when they were at the T20 World Cup they provided some really interesting storylines there. I mean, no one more so than Orla Prendergast, I think. She had a magnificent series there. I mean, they've been talking about Gabby Lewis, Amy Hunter, you know, players that we had seen do magnificent things here and there. Um, but she had a really great tournament there and had, you know, had they got a win here or there, you know, that would have been, you know, a, a magnificent story for her and for them. She ended up getting a, a deal to play um, over here in England, sort of off the back of that in um, in domestic cricket with um with Western Storm. So, you know, doors opening up for her. And so I think, yeah, I I think that, you know, they they need to be playing more cricket and, you know, bilateral cricket is so important for this side. So for them to have that tour to the Caribbean, I mean, I think that's really important for both teams. I mean, we know that West Indies are in a rebuilding phase. You know, they they need to build up, you know, some support for Hayley Matthews, who again had another, you know, magnificent series um for them so yeah I think the the more of this kind of bilateral touring side like Ireland can get and also you know West Indies as well um I I think that that that's really important and yeah you know that you would back West Indies to have done better in that series it's at home you know they're, they're the more established you know side but um but yeah I think it can only be a good thing going forward there's um there's bilateral series um for them and, and hopefully you know they can remain in in the calendar as as t20 um franchise opportunities come up which is again going to be good for those players who can get into them from those nations but this is a great shop front for them to be saying here i am this is what i can do yeah and we do have some big franchise tournaments coming up once the ashes are done the hundred will begin 
There is the CPL, the women's CPL, which will be taking place uh, with a couple more fixtures than, than usual. And so, as you say, excellent opportunity for everybody who's performing on the international stage. Now, and it's not just the teams we spoke about. The Netherlands women are also hosting Scotland women. So it's good to see the associate nations and, and the two who did such great battle out in Bulawayo to decide who would go to the 50-over World Cup, that their two women's teams are also competing. I think the Dutch have a really interesting story to tell. They're not a country where, where cricket is really a recognised profession, and there are very few, only eight male players contracted centrally. But uh, they were talking in Zimbabwe about the the love for cricket in their community, around 6,500 people, which is like, what, the size of maybe a small county in uh, in England who, who really care about the game and who want to invest in it. And Bastelader's cousin, I believe, Babette Delader, she's one of their, their stars of the Dutch team. So it's interesting that we've had so much to look forward to and, and so much to keep an eye on, sometimes too much for, for us to know exactly what's going on where. But really, the big focus over the next week will be the Women's Ashes, those three crucial one-day internationals, and to see whether England can stun Australia, can dethrone them, can retain, stop them from retaining the Ashes, or whether Australia, as we know, they've got huge bounce-back ability. Uh, they seem to be able to come from absolutely nowhere situations and be able to pull one out the hat. So will it be Australia to continue their dominance, or will it be England to surprise everybody and get their hands on the women's ashes. We will keep you posted and let you know next week. For now, enjoy the one-day games and all the other cricket that's on offer from us here at Ladies Who Switch.